0: Sunday sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now onto this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. Well, today we start a new series called James. In fact, it's a look at James, a challenge for today from the brother of Jesus. James was the brother of Jesus, as the title uh, title implies, Uh, and the book uh, in the Bible is one of the thin ones right towards the end. It was a a letter, an epistle. Uh, You'll find it uh, just at the, uh, almost to the book of Revelation at the end of the uh, New Testament. Uh, And there is some question of whether or not it was actually written by James Uh, you know it was common practice in those days to write uh, under a pseudonym to write in honor of someone or to write in the memory or to write in the style of someone else uh, as a way to honor them and invoke their memory and what you wanted to say Uh, that the scholars seem to be pretty fairly well divided I give it about a 50-50 chance of being actually the words of the brother of Jesus but here's the thing whether it was or not, it is certainly in the tradition and in the honor of the brother of Jesus. And I think we can, um, we can apply a certain authority to these words as a, as a result of it. James was actually a leader in the early church of the first century in Jerusalem. Uh, and he must have learned a few things, not only from growing up with Jesus, but also from that experience. Now, one of the reasons I picked the book of James for this series, short though it be, is that we live in a time of great racial tension in our country. And if we've learned one thing from the uh, various, uh, various happenings of the past month or so, it's that we cannot return to business as usual. I think all of our eyes have been opened a little bit. Everyone has been challenged by what's going on. Uh, we've uh, uh, all fallen prey to various distractions as well, taking us away from the topic that really needs discussed at hand. And quite frankly, I think it's only responsible that we as a church address it from a faith perspective. And I pick James because I I think it's going to help us do that. Now, I hope that as we go through this series, you will read James. It's only five chapters long, and I'm talking Bible chapters. If you want to talk the length of a chapter of, say, a novel, it's probably the length of one. Uh, And I hope that you'll read it more than once as we go through this series, because the words are very challenging. They very much tell it like it is, uh, and it's not easy to hear. And I think it takes more than one reading for it to really begin to seep in. But I also don't think we're ready to hear it. Sorry, Tom, I don't think we're quite ready to hear the scripture yet. I'm gonna read it for you again in a minute. But I wanna ask a few questions and talk about a few other things uh, to to have in mind when we do. And I wanna start with how our experience shades our view of the world. Now, I'll give a very simple example. It's an example uh, from uh, when uh, when I was just becoming a pastor and really even before that, and I would see parents with a baby carrier at church. And when I would see parents with a baby carrier at church, I would say what anybody would say. Oh, look at the cute baby, you know? And there's nothing like if you uh, have the uh, opportunity to give a wave at the baby, and if the baby's old enough to smile and even wave back a little bit, there's no feeling quite like that, right? You think, oh, look at the baby. Now, if I'm honest with you though, in those early days of being a pastor, when those parents weren't in church, there was a little piece of me that was a little judgy. (laughs) A little judgy because I know how important church is uh, and and I know how it can help a child that's growing up to be raised in faith like that. No, and I think some little piece of me in the back of my mind might have grumbled a little bit too. Then I got one of my own. Now, I will tell you, I had no idea how much work it is to take a baby to church. It is so much work. Because for one thing, you have to bring half the house with you. <laughs> you know, you have to have that diaper bag stuff and make sure you're stocked with diapers and with wipes. Uh, you know, the, the youngest of babies especially have to eat so often that you have to take formula. We had this device that we used with a, with a powdered formula in it and, you know, and parts of it you have to make sure. I, there's just a lot to worry about and a lot to take with you that's so much easier when you're at home. Anytime you want to leave the house, it is a chore and it is an ordeal. Uh, and not to mention that while you're out there with the baby, it's constant worry. You know, you. well, I suppose you're worrying that something might happen to the baby, but I think it's more so fear for what the baby might, let's just say, put out. <laughs> and that could be either end. I'm just saying, there's some stress that goes along with it. And then we had a second baby. <laughs> Now, when I see somebody come to church with a baby carrier, I think to myself, god bless you <laughs> because i know that couple has gone above and beyond in, in terms of effort just to make it to church that day and now i recognize what they've been through just to get there now as a side note by the way i'm not suggesting that parents stay home more often i'm not suggesting that at all i'm just saying that it's worth the extra effort and now i see it and i recognize it and you know having a baby myself helped me uh, uh, as a church leader too like for instance i have new standards of changing tables than I did before. Now I recognize how important it is to have a solid, clean surface and a place to set things and a floor beneath it that you can set the bag on that isn't awful. You know, it's something that I didn't see, something that I didn't fully appreciate the journey of until I walked in those shoes myself. And now I get it. So see, our experience changes how we look at one another. It changes how we look at the world. And that's an especially important thing for us Methodists. You know, our uh, denomination's founder, John Wesley, uh, had a a way of doing, a, a way of thinking about God that scholars have named the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. Now that's really a terrible name. Quadrilateral has four sides, right? And the four ways that Wesley would look at uh, God is first and foremost through scripture. Scripture is the foundation. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's the special way that God reveals himself to us in uh, so many ways. And it also keeps us grounded and keeps us rooted so that we don't fly off with wild ideas when we do grounded in scripture. That's why we're doing James here, right? Second then is tradition. And by tradition Wesley does not mean where we keep the coffee pot and getting mad when it's moved no, no 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 that's not tradition by tradition he means that we're not the first smart people to read scripture that we would be fools if we didn't learn from those who've come before us like Wesley himself now uh, and then there's reason God gave us brains for a reason and we use our reason to help pull these things together so when scripture tells us something and our tradition tells us something our brains are what help us hold it together and figure it out But Wesley put a special emphasis on experience because while scripture is primary, while our tradition matters, the experiences that God gives us matter too. And in fact, they form and shape who we are. And if God gives us an experience, we can't just deny that. We can't just set it aside. No, that's a way God shows shows God's self to us too. And in fact, because all of us have different experiences, the only way to truly know God is to share with one another, to share our experiences so that we can grow together. Okay, now with this idea of experience and the, and the quadrilateral in mind, I want to get into the, the topic of today, which is our nation's racial tension. Now, it would be a big mistake if we uh, talked about this subject and the only voice you heard from was this one, especially coming from a white male. You know, I am at the uh, place least put down by society simply by my gender and my race and my culture. Uh, And so, uh, I I was listening to a podcast. It's a podcast that I listen to as a pastor for leadership reasons. uh, And there was a discussion on it that well, it didn't say anything I hadn't heard before, more or less. But the person who was on it said it so well and so clearly that I wanted to share it with you all. And so I, uh, I, I sent an email to the people who put the podcast together, and they gave me permission to use it. Uh, I, I do want to give them credit, though. It's, it's, uh, you'll find the whole interview, if you'd like to see it, at churchpulseweekly.org, churchpulseweekly.org. And uh, it's a two-part interview that you'll find. Uh, Albert Tate is the one we're going to hear from. He's a pastor in California who says it so clearly. I do want to give my apologies. The people who make the podcast did ask that we only use it in the live version, that we remove it from the recording. So if you're watching this uh, later, I especially hope that you will go to churchpulseweekly.org so you can hear what he has to say too. But in the meantime, I want you to hear from Albert Tate. Now as we watch this first clip, I want to ask our white members to ask yourself what it would be like to live in a world where, what it would be like to live in a world with dark skin, in a world where the white culture was the default. Now, I don't say white skin is the default. I mean, I'm not talking about skin color. I'm talking about culture. What would it be like to be different in a world where white culture was the default? Let's listen to what he says. Challenging, isn't it? You know, one thing I hadn't heard that he said just then was about facial recognition on the iPhone. I use an iPhone and I get so annoyed when I'm wearing, I've, like I've gotten so used to the face recognition to unlock it that I get annoyed when I'm wearing my mask and it doesn't unlock because of my face and I go, I'm oh, in my coat all the time. But here's the thing. The iPhone was developed mostly by white people and I'm not judging against them, but when they, were building the, when they were building facial recognition, they tested it on themselves. And so it had trouble recognizing black faces. Now, it just shows you how these things hide in our system even when they're not intentional as it surely wasn't in that case. And it's also not one that happened decades ago. No, that's one that happened only very recently by people who probably cared it just didn't occur. So did you think about what it would be like to live in a world where your culture was not the default? What would it be like to live in a world where your ancestors were abused by some of the white folk? Now, not, not all of them certainly, but some of them. And then when you get a sore on your hand, you have to go out and buy a white band-aid. What would that be like To live in a world that, for all of our good attempts to inch towards equality, a world that clearly wasn't built for you. And you know, these are the small issues. These are the small things, band-aids and emojis and face recognition. You know, you want to talk about systems that have entrenched wealth inequality. Well, my goodness. You know, I'll be honest. That video makes me uncomfortable. To think about these things make me uncomfortable and I'll be even more honest here. As a pastor, you know I love you, right church? I hope it makes you uncomfortable too. I mean that, I hope it makes you uncomfortable because being uncomfortable isn't a bad thing. Think about it for a minute. When you exercise, now especially weight training, that's the best example. It's about putting pressure on your muscles in healthy ways so that your muscles will become stronger. What is it people say when they're exercising? Feel the burn, the burn. That's right, it's it's about being uncomfortable because being uncomfortable is what stretches us and is what helps us to grow and what helps us to become stronger. And hearing another person's journey Having another person share their experience with you is what helps us grow in here. It's what helps us grow in spirit. And it's necessary to become whole. Being uncomfortable is a good thing. And Albert Tate speaks to that too. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated before I was born. Hate to make any of you feel old there, but it's true. He was assassinated before I was born. And so I grew up learning about the 60s in history class. And I remember when I was young, thinking about how great it was that we had moved beyond separate water fountains and the like. Now, it is good that we've moved beyond separate water fountains and the like, but here's the thing. I was grateful that everybody was treated equally now. That's what I thought was true when I was young. But, you know, as I had more experiences, especially in high school, there's a couple that are coming to mind that wouldn't be right to share. You know, I realized how very untrue that is. It was easier to be comfortable. But, like he was just saying, I could think things were equal because I'm part of the group on the top minorities of every stripe have to live with the inequality every day they have to think about it i have the choice not to be uncomfortable but they have to live with it every day their experience if you remember the quadrilateral is different than mine and i am more whole for knowing it even though it's uncomfortable okay Now with this in mind, I think we're finally ready to hear from James. So I want to read the scripture for you again. It's from James chapter two, verses one through five. And James, the brother of Jesus, says this. My brothers and sisters, when you show favoritism, you deny the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has been resurrected in glory. That's kind of harsh, you deny the, the faithfulness of Jesus? Imagine two people come into your meeting. One has a gold ring and fine clothes, while the other is poor, dressed in filthy rags. Then suppose that you were to take special notice of the one wearing fine clothes, saying, here's an excellent place, sit here. But to the poor person you say, stand over there, or here, sit at my feet. Wouldn't you have shown favoritism among yourself and become evil-minded judges? My dear brothers and sisters, listen. Hasn't God chosen those who are poor by worldly standards to be rich in terms of faith? Hasn't God chosen the poor as heirs of the kingdom he has promised to those who love him? You do well when you really fulfill the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You remember in the video when Albert Tate uh, uh, said that in seminary he had required theology courses like systematic theology? I did that too, of course, but then black theology is an elective. That says something right there, doesn't it? Well, that kind of begs the question, what do you think God looks like from the African-American perspective? Who do you think God is from that point of view? Now, one answer is that even from the earliest of slaves, uh, hundreds of years ago, learning about Christianity for the first time, Moses resonated with them. In fact, I would even be so bold as to say that God presented God's self to them as Moses because Moses was one who delivered people from slavery. Moses is one who gave, them, gave the, the, the Israelite, the Hebrew slaves hope even in the middle of the slavery and gave them promise of a promised land to come. And if you listen to the speeches of Martin Luther King Jr. for, in, for instance, you'll hear Moses mentioned all the time in the promised land and you can hear the echoes of that. But more recently, there's a whole type of theology that developed from the people of the world who's gotten the short end of the stick, and it's called liberation theology. Now, if you Google liberation theology, and I kind of hope you do, be careful, because there uh, there are probably as many voices arguing against it as for it, and there are some disturbing things out there too. But here's the thing. What liberation theology has to say is remarkably similar across many cultures who say it. And that leads me to believe that maybe God is trying to say something in it too. You know, it does have different flavors from different cultures. And I'm not qualified to tell you everything about liberation theology. I'm from the wrong culture myself to be able to truly tell you about it. But I can tell you this, much of it centers around the same thing that James, the brother of Jesus says in verse five. And I want you to hear it again. My dear brothers and sisters, listen. Hasn't God chosen those who are poor by worldly standards to be rich in terms of faith? Hasn't God chosen the poor as heirs of the kingdom he has promised to those who love him? Hasn't God chosen the poor? You know... There was a soup kitchen that uh, one of my uh, churches I, I served in the past was near. Uh, and it's very similar to the gathering place here. Maybe some of you have helped out with, uh, with the ways that we help there. At, at this soup kitchen though, it was just called soup kitchen. I think it had another name, but I don't remember what it was. Um, the difference though was there, uh, those, those of us who were serving would sit down with the people to eat afterwards. And we would have conversations and we would get to know them over time. And I will tell you, those conversations are wonderful. You know, I'm a, I like to think I'm a person of faith. Well, I suppose I am. We all are if you're listening to this. But my goodness, there was something in those conversations that was beyond what I've experienced anywhere else. And you know, my last church in Hutchinson was a downtown church, and we would give a utility assistance, and we had a food pantry there too, and so we would have a lot of homeless come in off the street and that type of ministry, and that is, of course, a mixed bag. There are security concerns here and there uh, that you have to deal with. But I had so many experiences with those who would walk, uh, walk in off the streets that... We're, again, beyond anything I've experienced anywhere else. And those experiences resonate with what James says, that isn't the kingdom of God even more present with those who are poor, with those who are pushed out, with those who are pushed to the edges? You know another story. Uh, I have a friend who, uh, in his earlier days, had been a uh, an ardent fighter against LGBT rights and uh, homosexuality acceptance in the church, especially. He'd fought against that. Uh, and then one day, he sat down and read the Gospels. Now, I kind of wonder if he read all four Gospels in one sitting. He just might have. <laughs> Maybe it took two sittings. I don't know. And do you know what he thought when he walked away from doing that? You know, the Gospels, that's the story of Jesus and so many of the words of Jesus. He walked away from that saying, I have spent way too much of my energy worrying about what happens in people's bedrooms. Jesus doesn't mention it even once. I think Jesus cares much more what happens with the poor and what we do for the poor and the people who are pushed to the edges. It's everywhere in the Gospels when you look at it. So why do those of us in white culture have such a hard time seeing it? You know, it even happens to us. God helps us when we're down, right? When we're sick, when we have a tragedy in our own life, God feels somehow closer. Why would we have such a hard time seeing how how God is, how much God is with those who are down even more than we are? You know, our current society, our current moment in society is talking about African-American differences, and rightfully so. But it's also true for Latinos, for immigrants from anywhere, for women, for LGBT uh, uh, people. You know, James tells it like it is. And I think it's good that it makes us a little uncomfortable. Because it's by having that experience shared with us, and by listening, and by seeking to be open, that we become stronger and healthier and more whole. And as we do, it helps us all to move closer to God's kingdom. There'll be more in the future weeks, of course, about how we take action. But for now, would you join me in prayer? Oh God, we give you thanks for all the ways that you make us uncomfortable. Help us to listen humbly when experiences like these are shared with us help us to see more clearly and more deeply our sisters and our brothers in our own community and may our experience of their experience change us to be more like you who are the God of us all who is the God of us all. This we pray in Jesus' holy and good and loving name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.